And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another live Q&A edition of the Metrospective Podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined in live conference by the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. Tim, they've lost two in a row and perhaps most importantly, they've been swept in a series. Now it was only a two game series, but nonetheless, this is the season which we are very focused on series and the Mets' performance within series, and in this series of two games against the Astros, they won neither. You know, the two-game series, I never, I'm never sure exactly how to, uh, how to gauge it because it doesn't seem like it's fair uh, to be swept in a two-game series or to sweep in a two-game series. Uh, either way, like, you know, the Mets and Yankees play their two-game series this year. They, they do that, I think, two out of every three years on the, the way the current schedule works. They play uh, the, the two-gamer home-and-home. Uh, and it doesn't, it's not a, like if the, the Mets win both games at City Field, they win both games at Yankee Field. That's not a sweep. When they play, they have played all four back to back. And if they win all four of those, that's a sweep. But I, I don't think two games doesn't feel like it's, uh, like it counts. Right. Two games is just, you know, it's a, it, it's not even a best of three, right? So, it, it, no, it doesn't. I think that you're right. I think that none of it really counts, right? What counts is, uh, all 162 games equally, but it does seem sort of silly to be like, oh, the Mets have been swept in the series as if that's better or worse than just losing two games in a row because they lost two games in a row. Uh, they weren't great. Uh, and and the, the big news coming out of that Astro series that Carlos Carrasco left his start with lower back tightness. Do you know, do we know anything more about Carrasco yet? Not yet. He's supposed to get an MRI today. Uh, and, you know, We'll hopefully hear back on that either later tonight or tomorrow uh, when they, they started the series in Miami. Uh, you know, Carrasco said last night he did not think it was going to be a big deal. Uh, if you're the Mets, obviously you hope it is not much of a big deal uh, and that he can be back. You know, even if he has to miss a start or two, even if you need to put him on a 15-day uh, injured list here, it's not terrible time for the Mets to do that. Today is the we're, we're recording this Thursday, obviously. We're live. Um, it's the first of three off days in the next eight uh, and so they don't need a fifth starter right now until July 4th. So if you do the math there, that would mean basically Cresco missing one start over 15 days until he comes back. Um, so, you know, they can get by, like they won't need, even if Scherzer is not ready to go Sunday, as long as he's ready to go before Independence Day, they won't need to dip beyond David Peterson and Trevor Williams in their rotation. Right, but it does mean that they will need to keep David Peterson and Trevor Williams in their rotation. Not that either has been has been terrible, but as we've discussed at length, like we we just we're not entirely certain how long those guys are going to hold up. I have a question for you, but uh, before I ask it, I want to invite anyone listening. Uh, we got a bunch of people in the room. If you've got a question and you'd like to join us on stage, please do. 
uh, follow the various instructions on your app. Uh, and you can come join us. Tim, after the game last night, I heard Buckshell Walter sort of, uh, he, he, he described the Mets thinking that with Carrasco, they said uh, there was talk of sending him back to New York, but he's going to come with us to Miami. Uh, now, he wouldn't be pitching in that series one way or the other. Uh, what dictates a, a team's th- thought process in like whether to bring the injured player along with the club or send him back to New York to do the diagnostics? You know, I'm not really sure. It, it kind of probably depends on like the severity of the injury. You know, if this is something that they were worried, uh, you know, that, that Carrasco would have to go to like the hospital for special surgery in New York, they would do that. Uh, it might depend on like the quality of the city you're going to and there, the medical care there at, you know, at the stadium, what they can get done. And also like just the number of players you have rehabbing, uh, like Showalter has said with Jacob deGrom, it's a little easier for him to get his work done away from the team, whether it be in New York or, or in Florida or Max Scherzer down in Florida, uh, because the team had so many other guys rehabbing with the team on the road uh, that it was difficult for, you know, you only get so much time on the field on the road. It's not unlimited. You can't like show up at 10 a.m. and throw a bullpen session uh, at um, Lone Depot Park or, or whatever they're calling it now uh, in Miami uh, at Joe Robbie Club Pro Player Stadium. Um, the, the way you can at City Field, like Jacob DeGrom, if you wanted to throw a bullpen session at 2 a.m. at City Field, could probably do that. Uh, you can't do that on the road. So that's part of it. I, I mean, I, I would think it's, a, if you're looking for a sign, it's a good one that they don't send, they're not sending him back to New York immediately. Uh, I don't know like how good, but you know, it's, it's better than, than the inverse uh, for the moment. Right. It's, so it's about severity, you would say. And, and I know that there's a lot of we're doing a lot of speculation. I'm not asking you to uh, outline the exact medical protocol that the Mets abide by, because uh, if there's one thing if there's one thing we've learned over the years, it's that is that no one really can. But uh, but so you're, you're telling me it's that it is probably if we're reading the tea leaves, probably a good sign for for the prognosis for Carrasco if he is able to travel with, they're going to take him to Miami and let him do his work there rather than saying like, okay, this is going to be a long-term thing. You need to be at City Field or in Port St. Lucie. Probably, yeah, I don't think it's a bad sign. The, the one uh, the one caveat here might be like whether there's a specialist or a, a doctor that the player knows particularly well in that city. Like, you know, if they were in right. Cleveland, for instance, and someone had a hand injury and they weren't sending him back, that's because Major, Major League Baseball's hand specialist is in Cleveland. So that wouldn't be a good sign. Or right. if, like if you had a hip issue in, in Denver. Yeah, or, or if David Wright is in L.A., you know, his doctor's in L.A. and they're not sending him back. That's, that's not necessarily a good sign. You know, I, I believe Carrasco does spend time in Miami um, in the offseason. So that, I mean, that could play a part of it as well, uh, that, you know, maybe he does have someone in Miami uh, that he's comfortable with looking at him. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's pure speculation. All right. Well, uh, I, I enjoyed the speculation. I, I, I find I find the logistics of Major League Be- Baseball weirdly interesting, interesting just because they are so complicated. Uh, if you have a question for the podcast, please do uh, drop it in the chat or uh, ask to come on stage. We will welcome you. Uh, I thought that that's, you know, the, in, in I guess if you could take a positive out of Wednesday's loss, it was that after Carrasco left, it, it looked like they were it was going to be a, a blowout, uh, and they they made it close. They held it together. The bullpen looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean the, they got 
outstanding work from the bullpen, you know, starting with Yohan Lopez. I think it was two and two thirds uh, without allowing a run. I mean, that's a good Astros offense, obviously. They, the Mets got that firsthand. Uh, and the bullpen really held it down the final, what, seven and a third innings, or I'm doing the math wrong there, four and a third, four and two thirds. Whatever. Uh, they, they held it down the rest of the game uh, and, and allowed the offense to get back into it. You know, we've, we've mentioned this, uh, this was a couple weeks back about how in past years, you, you think back to uh, 2018, 2019, 2020, and the, the state of the Mets bullpen in those seasons, there were a lot of games where if it was four to two in the fourth inning, the Mets are losing uh, and you're going to your seventh or eighth man out of the bullpen. You didn't feel very good about it being four to two in the seventh inning. <laughs> you know, it was going to be six to two. It was going to be eight to two. Uh, and aside from that one, the, the, I think we talked about in the context of Jake Reed allowing a bunch of runs against the Brewers. Uh, aside from that game, uh, the bullpen, you know, those, those guys that, that they've called up, uh, you know, the, the Lopez's, the Steven Nagosik, Colin Holderman, uh, Adonis Medina, uh, and, and Reed, like those guys have generally pitched pretty well and held down the fort so that in, in some of these games that could have gotten out of hand even more so, uh, they haven't, those guys have been able to eat innings. And that, even if you don't come back to win the game, that saves your bullpen moving forward. The Mets did not have to use uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, their A bullpen uh, on Wednesday. Uh, and, you know, having the off day renders that a little less meaningful on Thursday. But, uh, you know, that, that still helps those guys stay fresher for the full season uh, rather than having to be used in a game that you don't really have much of a chance to win. Trade deadline coming up. Do you think Ronnie Mauricio will get you Shohei Otani? Uh, I mean, I think the, the, if the Angels add in Trout and a prospect, maybe. Um, it's got to be. Uh, do they have the prospect? <laughs> like, well, maybe Joe I mean, Adele is a big deal, but yeah. Can, can Taylor Ward count as a prospect? Just make sure that he's healthy, you know. Uh, and maybe right. if the Mets offload a set, you know, if they offload some salary that they don't want, maybe that that'll work. Um, uh, I think it's it's interesting to think about who how the Mets uh, their prospect their minor league farm system shapes up for a trade this year. Because certainly last year, you know, the, we, the, the farm system has that upper group, that, that elite core group of top 100 guys. So that's Alvarez. Uh, they're not going to trade Alvarez. That's Brett Beatty, who I don't think they would trade. That's Ronnie Mauricio, Mark Vientos. Uh, I know our Keith Loth, the athletic had Alex Ramirez in his top 100. Matt Allen is coming back from Tommy John surgery. That's kind of like the core group of prospects that they have. Uh, that they don't really want to trade from. You know, you can imagine them maybe moving Mauricio or Vientos because of what else they have, because they've got Lindor at short, because they've got Beatty at third, um, and maybe thinking that's the way to get to make a, a high-impact move this year. Uh, what I'm interested in is, is whether they've gotten enough from the next group down, you know, that there isn't this huge gap between the A prospects and the C prospects, that they have some B-level prospects. Um, you know, there, there's some guys having some really good seasons. Omar De Los Santos is having like statistically an absurd season in terms of home runs and stolen bases. Uh, seems like he can have like a 30, he's already got 30 steals uh, and, he, and he might end up with like a 2060 season or something. Um, so I'm interested in like how the industry views guys like that and whether the Mets can put together some B-level guys to make a bigger move in a way that they couldn't last year. They had to trade Pete Crow Armstrong for Javi Baez. They couldn't package uh, a couple of, of lower level prospects in order to get a deal like that done. Uh, and that might dictate just how aggressive they can be this time around at the deadline. And remember, if you are uh, lining up trade packages at home, if there is a prospect you uh, you want less than the rest of the prospects in your team's farm system, 
it's a it's a good bet that that the, the other teams are onto that one too. Uh, you know, if the, like the, they're not going to trade Alvarez because every team would would want Alvarez, and and uh, you know it doesn't always work out where you can trade the guys you don't like for some guys you uh, don't dislike yet. Uh, we have. Uh, it, it, am I am I looking at this right? It feels like we should have some questions by now. Maybe we're being. Is it we, possible we're so entertaining we, that everybody's just sort of spellbound? We we do have questions. You want me to call someone up to the stage? Oh yeah, I can't. I don't know why I'm not seeing it. Uh, Jesse M, welcome aboard. Hey guys, thanks for doing this. I appreciate the uh, the forum. Um, the lineup the last week and a half, two weeks, has just seemed really short almost. It really seems like if Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, Alonzo, and McNeil, when he's there, aren't doing it, it's not getting done. Um, Canna, Guillaume, Davis, Smith, Escobar, whoever the catcher is that day, they're, they're, they're getting on base. They're doing you know a little things here and there. But the lineup just seems really short. Do you think they'll consider maybe pushing Marte down to the, to the six, lower in the lineup to – put a little umph there, move somebody like Canna up who gets on base but doesn't kind of produce the power or, or extra base hits that we typically see. Just looking for what could possibly happen to shake that up if it seems dormant to, to you guys. Well, I'd say the, the first thing, the good sign is, you know, when you said outside of, uh, you know, five guys that you listed essentially, it doesn't seem like it gets done. Like we've seen the Mets where it's outside of one guy. It doesn't get done. You know, there were such as uh, last year was like outside of Alonzo, nothing gets done uh, this year. They've, I think the lineup is significantly deeper than it was last year. You've got more options and you've been able to cover up some slumps with the depth of that lineup. You know, Lindor is, you know, indoor to a, a relatively long slump uh, before his mom came to town uh, last last homestand. Uh, and, you know, that he was still able to, to hit third. They were still able to score runs around that because of the way some other players were playing, certainly like Luis Guillorme uh, being the, the player he's been so far this year in the bottom half of the lineup has helped. I think it feels shorter in part now because uh, say what you will about James McCann, they're getting less than James McCann gave you offensively from the catcher position. Uh, although Tomas Nito, when he does get his hits, they tend to be uh, in bigger spots mm-hmm. at least. Uh, they haven't gotten a lot in the, in the ninth spot there. Uh, you know, Eduardo Escobar is not having the year you would have expected from him, certainly from a power perspective, especially. Uh, so they, they've struggled to find kind of that, that number five hitter. They don't have a guy that fits as a prototypical fifth hitter. And I do wonder if that's something they, they look for at the trade deadline. Because there's a number of different guys that, that could fill that role that I don't think would cost you that A-level prospect. Uh, you know, we, we've mentioned Welling, uh, we've mentioned uh, Wilson, Ke- Wilson Contreras, who I always want to call Wellington Castillo, which I feel terrible about just because they share the same initials um, and because they disagree on the number of L's that should, they should have in their, their first name. Um, you know, Contreras is going to cost you so much because he's a catcher, whereas I think someone like uh, Josh Bell from Washington uh, would not cost quite the same amount because he doesn't bring the same defensive value. So I wonder, you know, depending on where they are at with with Escobar offensively, with J.D. Davis offensively, with Dom Smith, who might get a little bit of a chance here in the next couple of weeks, uh, that might define what direction they take at the trade deadline, whether they think they can solve it internally with those guys and maybe with a guy like Mark Vientos or down the line, Francisco Alvarez, or if they decide they need to go outside the organization to find better middle-of-the-order protection for Alonzo. I am now seeing the uh, the people waiting to be on stage, so I will take back over and welcome 
Yanni with a question. Yanni, welcome back. Or I won't. Uh, Yanni, Yanni, welcome on. I cannot hear you guys. Not sure if you can hear me. I can hear you. All right. I can hear you now. All right. I think there was just something connectivity there. Um, thanks for having me, guys. I, I wanted to ask about pitching here. Um, you know, I, I, I'm glad that we talked about the offense just now. Uh, I think we can always upgrade catcher to third base DH, but I, this team has proven that they can hit, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how much you're willing to part with to upgrade a team that's already, you know, first place in the NL. And so, you know, I would like to, I would like to see the Mets focus on starting pitching and relief pitching uh, at the deadline, especially given that it's a win now team and that we're losing a bunch of starting pitchers and relief pitchers after this season. Um, so on the on the relief side of things, is there any sense of understanding of who you know why this team didn't do more in the offseason to upgrade um, their uh, their bullpen and uh, whether that was a sort of top down decision or there was a cap on you know how many free agents or how much spending the team did. Um, and then, uh, you know, I had a question on the starting pitching side and I forgot it now, but I'll, I'll end there. I'm just hoping that I'm hoping that the Mets can really, uh, you know, this team has shown that, um, that they can hit and the team has also shown in the past that, uh, things can turn around really quickly with the, with the pitching. Yeah. I think with the, the bullpen, you know, look, that's the same question that we, we asked all off season was why did they view the bullpen differently than we were looking at it? And I think, you know, a lot of it was the thought that uh, they didn't want to spend too much on someone who they thought was a lefty specialist at, at a time when you've got a three batter minimum. So you saw in, in both lefties that they did get in Chase and Shreve and Joely Rodriguez, most of those guys have had relatively even platoon splits. Rodriguez has had reverse splits uh, for, for, for years in his career, but they didn't want to pigeonhole uh, like a, a, you know, that's why those guys have gotten the opportunity more, more so than someone like Alex Claudio, who's in, in AAA with them, who's really good against lefties, but, but hasn't done much against right-handers over the course of his career. And it's just kind of viewing it differently than we did in terms of, of what those guys could give you later in games. You know, what I thought was so valuable about Aaron Loop last year was, yeah, you were going to bring him in when there was a left, you know, you're going to bring him in to face a lefty, but you didn't worry about leaving him in to face a couple of righties. Uh, and, you know, he was able to get those guys out uh, in the seventh, eighth, and seventh, eighth innings ahead of Edwin Diaz. We haven't seen them use Shreve and Rodriguez a whole lot that way. Rodriguez a little bit earlier in the season got some eighth inning opportunities. But, you know, right now it's basically like if they're in a setup spot, it's going to be uh, Drew Smith. There's some lefties. It might be Adam Onovino with some righties. Seth Lugo, uh, who we talked about in the podcast earlier this week, uh, hasn't looked quite the same, but has gotten some of those chances as well. Uh, those are the guys that they, they, they value in the back end of the bullpen. Uh, you know, we'll see how much they reconsider that uh, in the next six weeks. Uh, I, I wrote about the bullpen uh, earlier this week, and one of the comments was, like, can the Mets really trade for Andrew Chafin after not being willing to pay him that salary uh, in the offseason? And the answer is, sure, yeah. Like, you can admit it was a mistake to not sign him. That's, you, can, you can do that. That's no problem. Uh, it's not like you trade for him and everyone's just going to roll their eyes and be like, oh, God, what a terrible decision to, to change your mind. Uh, you're allowed to do that over the course of a baseball season. Uh, so, um, am I, 
Am I allowed to say just because we we do discuss this every week, and I bring it up too um, that that the Mets could use another bullpen arm. The Mets bullpen is is fifth in the National League by ERA, so it's not like they've been bad, right? Like they, you know, and and you talked about it with with the you know the success of some of these guys filling in have been really good, but but uh, Diaz has been great, and Drew Smith has been great, and and Adovino has been pretty good, and and Seth Lugo's had his moments, and and. As such, it's like, you know, I, I recognize that this is an obvious area of need for the team at the trade deadline, but it's not like this is a, I mean, right now it's not shaping up to be a 2008 unit, is all I'll say. Uh, Andrew H. is waiting patiently. Andrew, uh, welcome to the stage, perhaps. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, guys. Andrew. I appreciate the time. Um, so my question is, I know there's been a lot of conjecture recently about Francisco Alvarez uh, potentially being called up because of the, uh, the stats, especially the hot streak that he's recently been on. Um, I, I basically just wanted the opinions of some people that are close to the team, because I know that it's easy to get excited, um, about the potential of like, a you know, a Miguel Cabrera, uh, younger than normal call up for help, whether that be at catcher or DH in September at the end of the season, uh, basically just looking for how realistic that option really is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's realistic from the DH perspective. I don't know how realistic it is as a catcher because of the immense responsibilities that are thrown on a catcher um, to, to know an entire pitching staff that Alvarez, it's not like he spent a lot of spring training catching these guys. You know, spring training was shorter. He didn't get a lot of experience uh, in games catching them. So he'd be starting relatively fresh. Uh, and, you know, you saw with Chris Bassett and Tomas Nito, like it takes time to develop a relationship. You saw it like Max Scherzer wanted to pitch in Binghamton to James McCann. Uh, to further that relationship because they hadn't worked a lot together in spring training or during the season. So uh, I think it it would be a a really big ask of Francisco Alvarez to come in in the final couple months of the season and be 
more than an occasional catcher for you. As I've cited time and time again, uh, the, the, it's so rare for a guy his age to catch at the major league level. In terms of being a designated hitter, that's, that's a, a more palatable option uh, and something that is more realistic. I don't think he's the number one internal option. Like, I would think Vientos is ahead of him. You look at the stats that Alvarez has put up in AA. Vientos' OPS was pretty much the same last year at AA. And look, it's more impressive that Alvarez is doing it as a 20-year-old catcher. But if you're coming up to DH, uh, that doesn't, the, the catcher part doesn't matter. And no one cares how old you are in the major leagues. Uh, so the, the precocity is just like a bonus at that point. So... Uh, I would think Vientos right now would be ahead of Alvarez in the pecking order. If Alvarez keeps hitting a home run every other day, that might change. Um, and I think, you know, there's, you've got higher hopes for who he will be offensively down the line. But uh, one of my, my pet peeves with prospect coverage is like, look, we're tweeting about Francisco Alvarez every day right now because he's on this crazy hot streak. We did not tweet about Francisco Alvarez when he was ice cold for, for about a month. Uh, after the start of the season, you know, he had a great first week and didn't do a whole lot for the next month. Uh, and I think that kind of creates this, this flawed perception of what a guy is that like he goes through slumps in double A. Like, he struggles, sorry, he struggles sometimes in double A. Uh, we just don't hear about it at the same level because, you know, it's not as fun to point out the flaws in a prospect. It's much more fun to say what he can be uh, or, or what he's doing when he's hot that, uh, I think sometimes it puts undue pressure on a guy when he does come up that like you expect him to be that guy all the time at the major league level. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I know that Andrew H wasn't drawing the direct comparison, but like Miguel Cabrera is one of the, I mean, he's the greatest hitter of his generation, arguably. So like, you know, it, everyone seems to think Francisco Alvarez is going to be really good. Like you can't, you can't count on a guy at 20 coming up and succeeding immediately uh no less you know doing what cabrera did and and powering his team to the world series but andrew knows that uh everyone knows that because miguel cabrera is special uh gary r is waiting and has a question gary what's up tim you still there or am i alone here okay Fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Someone I, I am still, still here, here. Do you, want, do you want me to pretend to be Gary? I could like pretend well, to ask a question. Well, does Gary care about how Mark Vientos has been playing lately? Because that's what I want to talk about. <laughs> sure, um, yeah. Let's, just, let's, let's because I think, I think it, just to make your point, like uh, Vientos, since the start of May, uh, and he hasn't missed any time in there. Oh, no, he did. He missed, he missed 10 days. He must have been a, a little bit of hurt. But um, yeah. so 28 games. His last 28 games... 10 home runs, 998 OPS. Uh, it's actually like, it's pretty similar to what Alvarez has done over his hot streak. Alvarez, I just looked up, had had 12 homers in his last 36 games. Again, these are all sort of arbitrary endpoints. I'm just picking like when they started getting hot and, and uh, looking over the game logs. But if Vientos is hitting just as well at AAA as Alvarez is at AA, and he doesn't, you know, and he will have, for now, I think since you, like you said, like they're not going to insert Alvarez as their everyday catcher. You're looking at him as a DH. Vientos does at least have some flexibility. You can play him in the field uh, as well as at DH. So he seems like the more obvious choice if they're going that route. Yeah, and actually, just to, to correct you on Alvarez, it's 12 homers in 23 games, actually. Um, oh, my bad. So, like, like, you know, he's got a, a 1,200 OPS in that stretch. So he, he's been absurdly hot. But again, like before that, he had not homered uh, in a month. So it, it comes in spurts. Both of them have, have shown, have exhibited kind of streaky tendencies. 
Vientes is interesting because uh, basically every year of his career, he's had a bad first month. Um, and we, I don't know if you remember this, Ted, but I cautioned against it early in the offseason even, that he was likely to get off to a slow start in Syracuse given the weather. Uh, yeah, so Vientos that, that outside of that first month, he's been really good. Um, every, every, you know, going back to 2019, uh, you know, he bounced back like a 750 OPS the rest of the way. Uh, 2021 last year, he had 1,000 OPS after the first month of the season. So far this year, it's right around 1,000 again at a higher level. Uh, so you really like the way that he's, it seems like he takes a little bit to adapt uh, to what's going on that season or maybe just the weather uh, and then kind of hits his stride and takes off. Uh, so I, I think, you know, like I said, he would be the option before Alvarez. I'm not sure how much defensive versatility he adds because I don't know that you feel comfortable sticking him at third in the major leagues at this point. Uh, he's probably J.D. Davis or worse. Um, and then he plays first base. He has not played the outfield this year after kind of experimenting there last year. So it's... It's an interesting spot they're in with him, whether it would be strictly a DH, but I, I would think he would be the option before Alvarez if they look internally for that. Uh, he can certainly hit. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the defensive numbers, and you know, there's not a lot to be made from that, but uh, nine errors in 36 games at third base this year in uh, in AAA, 10 errors in 41 games uh, last year at AA. Uh, he seems to be somewhat error-prone on the infield. That obviously... Uh, like you said, maybe a concern. Uh, I just mean to say, you know, you, you, I don't think, I think they're more likely to stick the Antos at third base or first base than they would Alvarez, right? Yeah, that's true. But, but you might end up with Alvarez catching more, more games than Vientos would play in the field. Because uh, while, while Alvarez, I wouldn't expect him to catch five times a week. He can catch a game a week, probably. You know, they, they can do something like that where, right. you know, he catches Peterson, he catches McGill, he catches a guy like that who he might have a little bit more experience with. That makes sense. And I would I would guess that you see Vientos first. Like if if they decide to go internally for a bat uh, in July or August, it's Vientos, and then maybe Alvarez gets like a cup of coffee in September. Makes good on his promise to play in the big leagues this year, um, but it's hard to imagine. I, and and who knows? Who knows? Like I'm already constructing a postseason roster right now, and uh, there's a lot of season left to go, but. It's hard to figure how he would have a huge role on a postseason team, uh, unless it's like, oh, well, this guy's hitting like you know, young Gary Sanchez or something, and it's it's absolutely worth having him at, in at DH. Yeah, I mean, you can if those guys, if either of those guys, Vientos or Alvarez, comes up in the second half of the season uh, and and shows you something, you know, there's not like you look at their bench right now. It's going to need to be four players deep because you're only allowed to take 13 pitchers in the, the postseason because of the days off. You might not even take 13. You, you can take uh, an extra bench player or two. Uh, and, you know, when you're constructing a bench, OK, you say you've got kind of your normal bench, which is Nito, Guillaume, um, maybe Dominic Smith. Nick Plummer is on there right now. You know, this is why you got uh, Terrence Gore to be part of that potentially as a, as a pinch runner. Uh, and then maybe you have a guy like Vientos or, or Alvarez. Vientos, I know, is, has been crushing left-handers in particular. And say, this is the guy, he's going to pinch hit against lefties for us. You know, he's going to hit for, um, you know, Luis Guillorme in a big spot against the lefty. He's going to hit for McCann in a big spot against the lefty. Maybe even McNeil or Nimmo, depending on where they are against lefties at that point in the season. Nimmo's been great this year. Uh, McNeil has been better of late against lefties. Um, but, you know, if you need a, a three-run homer or something, that's what the guy's there for. Um, you know, you can you can imagine that happening. You just were a little bit away from that. Uh, we have no one left, as far as I know, waiting to, to get on stage. But I have one last question for you, which is, when am I going to see Matt Scherzer pitch again? So 
uh, I, I think, you know, it sounds like Sunday is, is very much part of the, the consideration here um, because, uh, you know, Max, he, he said before his rehab started, he could comfortably pitch, if he could comfortably throw 75 pitches in the major leagues, he'd feel com- he, he would want to do that. He would not want another rehab start. He got up to, I think it was 65 pitches in his rehab start. He had been at 50 in the sim game before that. So 50, 65, 75, that's a usual uh, linear progression for a pitcher. So I would say it's probably likelier than not at this point, but I'm not with the team on the road. I'm, I wasn't in Houston. I'm not going to be in Miami. Uh, so it's a little harder to, to read between the lines of what, what they're actually saying uh, in person uh, that way. I do want to, I do want to say, you know, Yanni asked the question uh, in the chat uh, about acquiring a starting pitcher now, like paying the premium to do that. Uh, that would be a real surprise to me. And I would not do that for I, a Mets executive because a, the premium is more than you think um, the premium to acquire a guy now uh, it's a lot. It's like an extra good prospect. Um, uh, so I, for a team that doesn't have that kind of prospect depth, I would not expect the Mets to want to do that. Uh, B, they have enough of a comfortable lead, both in the division, like A, in the division, B, I'm, I'm outlining things now. They've got a comfortable enough lead in the division uh, for a buy in the playoffs, for a playoff spot in general, uh, that it's not like the extra three or four starts a guy is going to make is going to be a huge difference for them the way it might have, might be if they were kind of neck and neck with someone in the division and see, you want to wait until you see what you got in Scherzer and potentially DeGrom. Uh, right. And you want to see how McGill progresses. All that will define kind of the, the quality of starting pitcher you go after. You don't want to make a move right now for, um, you know, let's say it's Jose Quintana uh, of Pittsburgh. Uh, and you find out next week that, that DeGrom is going to be after the season uh, and Jose Quintana is not good enough to fill that void. Uh, you need to make a bigger move for a Luis Castillo or a Frankie Montes. On the same token, you don't want to make a move for Castillo or Montes. You find out Scherzer's fine, DeGrom's fine. Like, you know, that guy is going to be your fourth or fifth starter, uh, and you pay an extra premium for him. That's a lot to give up for someone like that this time of year. So I, I would not expect them to do that. Yeah, and, and you know, what sort of happened last year, as we discussed, was like the – you know, and that this team is a little bit different than that because they're they're already out in front and and it's uh, they do have the depth in the starting rotation. But with the Degrom news last year, it was on one hand it's too late to to work out something to replace him. On the other, it's like well, without Jacob Degrom, how good is this team really going to be? Are you going to go all in for a playoff run when it's not even a guarantee? And so I would think that if they get bad news on Degrom, you know, and knock knocking wood and fingers crossed and everything, if it if there's a spate of bad news, at some point you have to say, okay, we can't patch these holes. We just need to sort of uh, try to, what, what is it called? And what do they, ford the river when they just try to walk across it? Yeah, like Oregon Trail. Right, I, I, mean, I, I think this team is, is better than last year's. Obviously, you know, like they're, they're in a better spot Decided. without the ground than they were last year with the ground. Uh, and so, I, you know, I think even if they were to hear uh, two weeks from now that Jacob DeGrom is not going to pitch this season, uh, that they would they would be motivated to try to patch that hole rather than than ford the river. Uh, if they got bad news on Degrom, Scherzer, and like one other guy, then maybe that changes where what you're thinking. But you know, right. I, well, because think... it's you can't just tank. You can't go into the tank when you got a four four and a half game lead in the division, right? You can't just be like, well, we're we're bailing out because Max Scherzer's there. Yeah, you're not going to have the what was it, the '97 White Sox white flag sale in in July when they were like in first place and, and sold at the deadline. Uh, and this right. team is not. This team is a, a veteran team. Uh, it is built to uh, to win this year and next year. So they're, they're not going to do anything like that. Obviously. All right. Well, good. Well, good. Um, 
I will not be around next week, but uh, or possibly I don't know, maybe ten day IL stint here. Uh, so someone will be joining you. Maybe you'll get the. Uh, I mean, Rustin and Andy are both lovely people. I don't know how well you know them. You know, I've never actually worked with them. They only ever work <laughs> when I don't. So oh, is that true? Uh, well, they're both <laughs> no, great. No, so, it's not uh, true. Okay. Uh, yeah, so so uh, enjoy that, and I will uh, speak to you sometime soon. And uh, until then, I suppose if you have questions, you can ask them of Tim because I'm probably not going to be checking my email that frequently. Uh, he's at Tim Britton on Twitter. Uh, Tim, Mets have three against the Marlins, and you will return to talk about it, I suppose, early next week. Yep. Good luck and uh, adios.